Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Fiction, science fiction, horror, fantasy, crime, LGBT, thriller. You have now entered the House of Mystery with your hosts, Eric Shapiro, David North Martino. John Copenhaver and Al Warren. 102.3 FM Los Angeles. 106.5 FM Riverside. And 105.0 AM Palm Springs. And we are at the interview part of the show. So that's the exciting part, not listening to us. So uh, now today we have another author and. Um, Quite, quite a history in writing. A um, lot of lot of great books here. Mystery fiction, um, fantastic. So our guest is Gregory Ash. Thank you for taking the time to come on the show. Thank you so much for having me. Wow, Greg. So uh, you've written a lot of books. Where did it start for you? Like, how? What got you into writing uh, to begin? Oh man. With? Yeah, I well so. I think like a lot of writers, I probably, I, I wrote a lot when I was a kid, and then I had these relatives who, they're, they were kind of like <laughs> these disaster stories, like these warning <laughs> stories, who had tried to be artists and who had ended up, you know, living in terrible conditions because of it. So I, I, at some point I decided to be respectable and be an accountant, and I tried to do that for a while. Um, and then in college, when I was doing that accounting degree, I realized that was a mistake. And so, so I went back to writing when I, I didn't go back until I was like 25 when I had, um, a teaching job. And I thought, well, you know, I'm, I can at least pay the bills. So now I can do this as kind of a hobby. And then, uh, I just did it for, I wrote for about 10 years before I had some, some people, you know, get interested and start picking up my stuff. And so, so it's it was kind of a for a long time kind of a back burner thing something that I enjoyed doing but um, didn't trust to be a career you know if that makes sense hmm. yeah story of my life um, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still waiting uh, yeah 
Now, so when you started, like, how do you choose these um, themes that you choose in mystery or, as you call, speculation fiction? Like, where, where does the idea come from? They come from all over the place. So I started, my Hazard and Somerset books actually started because I was reading, um, I was, well, I was watching Forensic Files, and, you know, there's this real case about a police officer who was having an affair with a young gay man and murdered him when the this love his lover threatened to out him to the, to the other police. And I thought, boy, that's a great story. Like, you know, talk about all the ramifications of that. So it, it kind of, that's not the story I ended up telling, but that was kind of the seed for it. But in other cases, it's come from kind of real life connections. I have a paranormal YA series with a young man who's moved to Wyoming and we had some family friends who uh, went through a horrible divorce and took their family there. And um, the tragic, you know, short story version is that, you know, one of their children attempted to take their life by suicide, being isolated in this small town in the middle of nowhere. So, I mean, and anyway, so like there's a lot of things that just kind of stick with me and become like compelling and I want to think about what that might be like or what it might mean and so they just kind of linger and I I think I just turn them over until I have something to say about them. So in a way it's more about um, you're trying to um, put some sort of story across to the readers like you you want them to get um, it's, it's not just a total fiction. Yeah I think I think when when at least the the type of fiction that i enjoy isn't like a moralizing fiction like it doesn't have a lesson maybe that you can point to but it still might help you understand something about someone in a particular situation and i think that understanding can be really significant so usually like the aperture for me when i approach these is like what's the thing that i want to understand or that i want someone else to understand um, after they finish this book. And that's interesting, because when you say that, when you want someone to get an understanding, or, or mm. how do you develop these characters um, throughout the story when they're fictional like that? That's something I'm not, I'm not sure about myself, because I, I deal yeah. in uh, true crime, so I'm following who a, what a character does. How do you actually yeah. do, you know, how do you get into the development of it and do you draw that from people you know? Yeah. So let me ask you really quick. I, I looked at some of your true crime writing, and I was curious when you when you were doing that, and you're trying. I mean, it's, it's, at what level are you thinking about the psychology of those characters? Like, are what level are you delving into that? Oh well, for me, I go as well. I don't know. I, I think that I I just portray as much as I can about the the person. And it, it, for for a real true life person, you have to get a lot of people involved in it. You know, you can meet right. them and talk to them, but I'm I'm giving my perspective. But I need to go around them right. and get right. everyone's perspective because the more I can do that, the more of a 3D image you get. And uh, but f for me, I'm always looking at um, the whole the whole process of what happened to everybody that's involved in the story not just centered around, let's say, the criminal or, or the victim, but everyone else. Uh, it's real. It's a yeah, real ripple, ripple effect. 
and, and I think that that's so John McPhee, who's you know this great nonfiction writer, he has the this image about when you do a when he does a story about a person, it's he says you know you've done enough interviews when you meet yourself coming and going, like you <laughs> you keep start running into the same people over and over again, um, and that's not quite the same with fiction, I guess, right? Like you can't, there's no one to go interview, but I do think what you described. And I think what McPhee describes this, um, if you could like this visual of the circle that you keep going around and around trying to see the person from different angles. I think that is true. I think there's, and I think with fiction, it's like an iceberg, right? You know, you see 10% and the other 90%, if it shows up, you're in trouble, right? Like, it should stay below the waterline. So, to answer your question, I guess there's a lot of thinking and um, researching. Like, I try to research, maybe not people that I know personally, but people that share some of the traits I'm interested in or circumstances I'm interested in. And then um, trying to find a way to make those to make those cohere, I guess, to make those come together in a way that's new and unique for this character. Yeah. Yeah, because I find when if I'm writing about a true person, um, if, if I don't get different angles, you're not going to get a real perspective of that person. And a lot of, I, I think, true crime authors make that mistake from what I right. see. For, for me, it's a mistake. Right. Maybe not for them. I guess someone will scream at me for that. But, <laughs> but, but what I mean is, um, like, I can take you, for instance, say Gregory mm-hmm. Ash. So I can go around your circle of friends and say as a reporter, what, what do you think about Gregory? Is he uh, funny? Is he smart? Is he, well, mm-hmm. like, give me his character. And, and, and I can also go to people you worked with and people that have been with you. And you're going to get people that didn't like you. And this is why right. they didn't like you. Or people that, oh, he's, he's smart, but he's this. Or he's this and that. So you get more of a 3D perspective of the person so i think that's really important i just think it's uh i just don't know how you would do it with someone that you've totally created a character like i'm there's joe smith or whatever and then i'm i've got to develop this person so how do i do that that's what i find fascinating i think that's an amazing thing to be able to do well thanks i mean i think and i think in some ways what you're describing does i i would hope plays out in the on the page in the sense that like you, um, I, you, I would like people to see these characters, not through a chunk of exposition. He had brown hair and he had broad shoulders, and she was smart as a whip, but through the things they do, and more importantly, through the people they interact with, and and the broader um, range, right? The broader that cast of characters, like maybe in the same way that you would be seeking out a broad um, range of people to interview about me. Um, provide maybe that multi-dimensionality of the character, right? Like he is a, let's say this character is Emery Hazard in these books is kind of a jerk to most people until you see him, right, with this two-year-old stepdaughter, right? And so, I mean, I think, I, I think some of the dynamic that you're describing plays out in fiction, but in a very different way. Greg, would you say that um, you mentioned that some of your inspiration, or at least seeds for inspiration, comes from life events, from people that you may know or you see what people experience. Mm -hmm. Would you say that um, almost what you're trying to portray 
you mentioned also about helping people understand a, 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 something that's going on, a theme or an event. It's almost like presenting a documentary through a fiction book. Boy, I hadn't thought of it that way, Julie, but that's a really thoughtful account of that process. I mean, I would, I think that in the same way that, so I just watched The Tiger King. I, have you <laughs> seen it? Yes. This is my, that's my immediate thought when you say how a documentary presents a story and maybe it engages with a theme. Um, I think there is some of that. I think that there's this sense that, um, you know, Flannery O'Connor has this amazing line, and I'll paraphrase it and I'll butcher it, but she says something like, if you can put the theme of a book into words, it wasn't a very good theme, right? Like, if you can mm -hmm. boil it down to a sentence, it probably wasn't very good to start with. And uh, and that's a little tricky for me because I also am a full-time high school teacher. I teach English, and I have to make my students write these theme sentences. <laughs> but... Um, but I do think there's something to be said that, you know, the experience of a story, whether it's in a documentary, as you described, or whether it's in a novel, um, is, I, is itself the experience that I want people to have. That, like, maybe it's not reducible to a, a line in, like, a ledger entry or something like that. Did that am I answering your question or not really? I don't know. Yeah, yes, you are. I think it's, it, for me, it was about if we're trying to help somebody experience and understand the situation, then yeah. we're putting a set of facts around it. This is this is what you know. This is somebody's experience, or this is evidentially mm. what we know about a scenario, mm -hmm. and that becomes much more of a documentary. Right. Um, so I, I quite liked the idea of, of having that documentary beset in a fictional setting, yeah. so educating through that way yeah. using. Um, characters that yes you have to put that 3D approach to you have to make them believable so we have to feel like we know we know and we're living with them yeah um, but the idea of having that as a kind of a fictional documentary was 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 um, was good good I, I enjoyed that I appreciate the way that you phrased that that that's helpful for me and that's clarifying to me to kind of think about it in that sense of yeah like it is an assemblage of facts and realities that are then just kind of draped over a fictional, like, armature or something like that. They're kind of, yeah, I like that a lot. That's really thoughtful. You better I quite that. liked the draped over a fictional <laughs> armchair. I thought that was good. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's just turn this into the Mutual Appreciation Society and we'll just get rid of Al for a minute. <laughs> I'm the star. <laughs> <laughs> That's where you're going wrong in all those fictional writings. Yeah. I was going to say, what do you get out of these people? But uh, so when you're when you're writing this fictional story and you're following this character, um, how does it change you? Does it affect the way you behave after you've written the book? I I would hope so. I mean, I I would hope that. I mean, the, the answer is I want it to, and it doesn't always play out that way. So, like, I often write about people who are not like me and who are people that I don't entirely understand. So, you know, lately I've done a lot of research on, um, like, psychopathology and self-harm and PTSD. And, you know, like, I'm very happy and fortunate to not have to deal with any of those things. Um, but 
and I want to say that like writing about those things and delving into them and it gives me makes me more compassionate and then yeah. and then I go into a room full of teenagers and I get real irritated real fast. So I'm, I don't know <laughs> I don't know how much more compassionate I am ever after doing this. But I th- I mean I would hope I mean at least I certainly I'm I'm better informed and more thoughtful about some of these things from having dwelt in them. But um you know, I, that's a, that's a, that's like one of the hardest questions I've ever got, Alan. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I just, because I, I personally find every time, and I didn't realize that until probably just a book or two ago, um, yeah. when someone made a comment to me about um, something that I was doing or saying, how I was behaving, so to speak. And I realized yeah. that it was probably something I took from that research. And, and, wow. And so when you, you know, because each of these things affect you. Like if you watched a documentary like mm-hmm. The Tiger King, at the end of it, <laughs> it, it, it affects you, right? You kind of, yeah. you know, whether you're throwing up or rolling your eyes or whatever you're doing. <laughs> it, but it makes a change inside of us. It so does. I just think, so yeah. when you go to write after you've done something like that, yeah. you're writing from a different platform. So I'm just thinking that I, I just wonder, you know, because I don't, like this is a whole new area for me, the... Um, the fiction and, and all of this yeah. sort of stuff. So I just wonder if it if it's if it's part of you or not. I think I think that it is. I think that I would be hard pressed to say that I'm. Yeah, go ahead, Julie. Sorry. Isn't isn't this about our values um, more so? You know, it's um, if we're impacted by something, if we take something from an experience or a piece of research or a learning that we've done, every interaction we have with another person gives us an opportunity to reflect on our own values. Absolutely. And generally, if if we're feeling uncomfortable with something, or it's because it doesn't sit with our value base. Right. And if we're feeling uncomfortable in the scenario and we start to think about what that was about, why why did we act in a certain way? Why did we feel a certain way? Yeah. Um, sometimes it's about that lack of understanding and we and we take something from that and we hopefully become better uh, or, or, or more empathetic individuals going forward, depending on the scenario. Um, so I mean, that's what I think uh, I, I took from what Al was saying, I think. Well, I, I would agree with both of you. I think that's true. I I'm I'm thinking uh you know again of kind of the the themes that I fo- like can tend to follow in this work and and a lot of I mean they're obviously personal like I write the book because I care about it and because it's something that's touched a chord with me mm. and so maybe the maybe the qualitative ch- change is more one of degree than anything else like I think I, I yeah I guess I'm gonna. Stop right there, but that's kind of my initial thought on that question. It's a that's a, another tough question. This is no party here. This is. <laughs> 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 he's making these up for days. You don't know how long it took him. <laughs> this is great. Yeah, I can kill a man at ten paces. So, <laughs> so now you're you, you know what? Maybe kind of go over some of the series, like what you've been doing. Just kind of a little rough format of what you've done. Um, so that read or listeners can get an idea of what they would uh, be getting if they pick up one of your books. Oh, sure, absolutely. So I have um, a set of books that is, um, they're called the Hazard and Somerset books. The main characters are Emery Hazard, John Henry Somerset. Uh, it's set in a small fictional town in Missouri, and it, they start off as um, 
they're both police detectives investigating murders in this small town. And they have a history where Emery Hazard was bullied for a long time by Somerset growing up, and now he's, Hazard has moved back, and they're kind of forced to work together, and uh, the relationship evolves from there. So that's one set, and then I have another set. that, intend, that Those books tend to deal a lot with um, kind of like the ongo the persistence of like the culture wars in the United States and what those look like in communities that aren't on the coast. So like what the, what the culture wars look like in rural Missouri and I live in St. Louis right now, you know, and grew up here is really different from what it looks like maybe to people from outside the Midwest. And so thinking about um, the books tend to the murders tend to investigate either suspect suspects or victims who kind of give a way of looking at those conflicts whether you know liberal versus conservative or gay rights versus the the christian right things like that um i have another set of books called the borealis investigations those are um a pair of best friends who are private investigators in st louis and they're proud of owning the only LGBTQ private investigation agency in the city, <laughs> which is kind of a fun conceit. Um, the character, one of the characters, is like he's still a, a virgin, which is an important part of the character in the first book. And uh, someone wrote me and said, "I think it's more believable that there's a 27-year-old virgin than than that there's a gay investigation agency." <laughs> and I thought, well, <laughs> but so they those books tend to deal with questions about the LGBTQ community and kind of so they investigate cases that have to do with you know the LGBTQ community and then I have a paranormal series set out um, in a fictional town in Wyoming and <clears throat> those have those are the ones that have a lot more to do with um, mental illness and self harm and um, they have a supernatural element and so there's it's uh, kind of a, it's still, there's still mysteries, but with the twist. Hmm. That's interesting. When you, um, mentioned the, um, the occult or like a paranormal twist in Wyoming, um, mm. is this, does this come from some sort of belief in the paranormal? Do you have like a, uh, some sort of history with that or an experience? Oh, that's a great question. I, I so I was raised in a, an extremely religious, extremely conservative family, so, like, for me, after coming out and kind of the fallout of um, that, uh, like, I, I've kind of just set all of those concerns to the side and just kind of neatly, <laughs> they've gone in the closet after I came out. <laughs> and so, uh, so I don't really have any belief in the occult or the paranormal um, or the supernatural or anything like that. But... Um, for these books, that was more of a way of getting into questions of, like, psychopathology and, um, like, empathy and compassion. And so they were, they were kind of, it, the decision to make the character something of a psychic was uh, more about kind of the things that I was interested in investigating than, um, like, a, a genuine belief or anything like that. 
So do you, would you say, would it be fair to say then that um, if you were, if, if you aren't a believer in the occult or supernatural mediumship, psychic, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. So would it be fair to say, Greg, that then your belief would be that um, those things, um, those premonitions, predictions, accounts can be accounted for by psychology? Oh, that's a great question. I hadn't even really considered my answer from that angle. Um, I think... Gee, I'm real. I would say that I'm I'm pretty agnostic on a lot of that stuff. Like I don't, just don't feel like I'm in a position to say that it can. That oh gosh, I mean, I want to say that, <laughs> I want to say yes because yeah, I'm a big believer it. in science. We're not we're not going without an answer. <laughs> I know, man. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna lean on the side of science and say probably, but I'm gonna leave myself like a one percent margin of wiggle room just in case. Nice, I believe in both, so I, I think absolutely <laughs> you can you can uh, you, you, we read body language all the time, so it's not it's not a leap, is it, to think that with neurolinguistic programming, being able to really understand people's um, very delicate uh, body movements, even blinking, yeah. you know, the raising of a muscle twitch. Um, and uh, and how we then can uh, question somebody and question yeah. in a way, maybe using something like you know motivation interviewing that sort of thing to oh. really evoke evoke a response yeah. and then be able to formulate a view or a judgment from that response. I think that's that's very likely. And um, and so I think I, I would probably sit right in the middle and believe both. Yeah, that can be done. Well, and that's a great. The, your example is an excellent one for kind of pointing out where how blurred it becomes. Yeah, I think that's a great way of thinking about that. Maybe that's a that's a theme for another book. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it would be I because mean, that that whole level of deceit from a psychologist yeah. or a. Yeah. Well, and that's kind of like the the kind of the cold reading people and mentalism, right? Yeah. Like they yes. kind of access that at a conscious level, um, or manipulate it at a conscious level. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'm sure there are thousands of people out there that manipulate it at a very subconscious level, oh, you know, where they have no idea that that's what's even happening. Yeah, that's a great idea for a character. That's wonderful. <laughs> yeah, someone real awful. Yeah, I love it. Maybe, maybe, <laughs> maybe a president. Well, oh my God. <laughs> Well, just just saying, like no, yeah, no. yeah. All your hate mail goes to Julie. She's uh, Carol. Her, you know, you can tell she's she's from Alabama from her accent, right? Uh, yeah. We get people that actually say that, you know. So just, oh. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. So, yeah, oh, from from the southern states, me. Yeah, 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 right. that's, yeah that's, you can tell uh, the twang. Uh, uh -huh. <laughs> Uh, you know, I find British that etiquette. Yeah. What, so, where do you um, where do you draw uh, from other writers? To, to, do other writers influence you, and do you read a lot? And kind of, um, does it help you get through when you do your own writing? Yeah, uh, that's a great question. It's certainly I, I do read a lot. Like, I'm a big believer in. Um, you know, there's a number of writers that have said this, and Bandy did around, and the the one that I can think of off the top of my head is Stephen King, but I know there are others. And the advice is, if you want to be a good writer, you have to do two things, which is you have to read books and you have to write books. And, and that sounds real dumb 
until you start talking to other writers and find out how many of them haven't read a book in the last year. And uh, it, it was just shocking to me. The more I talked to people and the more I found out how they were too busy to read. And I thought, wow. So I do read a lot. Um, and then... Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. How would you like to look 5 years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking 5 years younger at 6 months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. And I would say, kind of thinking about inspiration and influence, yeah, I, I've really tried to pare down who I read so that I only read authors who I think I can learn something from. And that that is not like a claim about my ability. It's more a claim about, like, I just I don't want to waste my time reading books that just aren't that good. And so, um, so I feel like, like I, I really try to, I, because I, I think whatever you read kind of gets into your subconscious. Does that make sense? Like it, it kind of infects you. And so, so I, um, I do spend, a, I spend a lot of time reading and, um, usually if I get inspiration from a book, it's, I'll see something like, uh, sometimes it's a technique, like uh, right now, I'm reading Adrian McKinty's uh, 
Sean Duffy novels, which are set in Ireland during the Troubles. And um, have you guys read them? Are you familiar with him? No, I'm not. No, uh, I haven't. No, I haven't. They're fantastic. I mean, they're just so beautiful and well written and smart and full of pop culture from the like late seventies and the eighties. And it's just like a ton of fun to read, but they're also really smart and complicated and political. And so like he had this great, he has this great like throwaway paragraph basically that about, um, he's listening to, uh, the Protestant channel. Well, he's, he's a policeman in Ireland and in Northern Ireland. And, that flips over the Catholic radio station, and he just juxtaposes them really briefly, like a couple sentences. But it's just like this wonderful, like, way of capturing all the tensions that are happening in Northern Ireland at the time. So things like that, where you'll, I'll see it, and I'll just be so impressed, and I want to like figure out how to do that myself because it was just so well executed. Like those are usually the things that I take away with me. So I'll I'll note note to yourself here. Just cancel that order we just put in for Greg's books. Um, this <laughs> this this guy sounds really good. <laughs> he is Julie. He's really good. <laughs> I'm oh, only joking. So so if if one of our listeners was to go into a bookshop a bookshop and they, there's a whole there's a whole stand of, of books there. Yeah. How how do they know what's a good book? What should they be looking for in a book? Do you think what catches your eye and what do you think people should be looking for? So I guess I'll answer that in two ways because I think everybody brings their own things that they want to a book. And um and I'll give an example of it. Uh I had a friend tell me recently. So uh, like a lot of my readers are crossover readers from the romance genre because usually my books have a romance subplot. And um, he was telling me about this conversation he overheard from some romance readers who every time they buy a new book, they buy it in ebook, and they the first thing they do is they do like a search in the Kindle app to find uh, synonyms of male body parts. And if they don't show up enough times, they return the book because they know it's not going to have what they want in it. And... That is not my way of picking a book, but it's some way people's way of picking a book. You know, like people want different things out of a book, and um, and more power to them. Like you should, you sh there are people writing those books, and there are people reading them, and you should find the book that you want to read and enjoy it. And that's, I think, that's awesome. That's my first. That's like the first half. I guess the second half is what do I like? <laughs> uh, I like. I like really solid, like really tight prose, um, and I like characters who aren't perfect but who are trying to be good people for whatever that means to them. Um, and I do like a good twisty mystery, like you know, I like one that I can't figure out on my own. Well, I mean, what what would you what do you look for? Nudity. Oh. <laughs> well, I just gave you a tool, Al. Like you just did control F. No, but it's, it's the very, the very one of the very first books I had published by a publisher. They sent yeah. me a couple of covers, right? The illustration yeah. part, to, and you're choosing, and and I took it to some friends over here that um, I know, and uh, and uh, the, this this the guy. It's a it's a couple, and this guy says, um, "Well, you know, it's okay." But it would look really good if it had something sexy on the cover. <laughs> 
right? <laughs> like put put like a, a red slipper or shoe or high heel shoes. Or, like he was throwing all these ideas. And this is my this is my very I've never worked with a publisher before. I'm my very first book. Yeah. So I sent back to the illustrator and the publisher that uh, some of my friends said that uh, they'd like something sexy on there, like a shoe and heel. My God, you should have seen the bad responses I was getting. The illustrator was, oh. uh, uh, rape is not uh, sexy oh. and all that. Oh, my God. Oh. I, I never got involved again. So I don't, <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. Uh, you know. Wow. They were lucky they didn't look for your search engine. <laughs> that was rough. Oh no, I'm the good girl. So, yeah, but but um, I don't know. So I, for me, um, no, I don't know what I'd look for. Um, I haven't been in a bookstore so long. I couldn't tell you anyway. But Julie, for, oh, you know. yeah, for me, see, I I don't read a lot either. The last thing I was reading, I like reading um, more factual, really, more bio, my yeah, more biographies. Yeah. Um, but that's that's. I find it hard, probably just because of time, to immerse myself into a story. Yeah. So, and I think that's quite sad, really, because when I was younger, I was an avid reader, and that I would spend hours and hours just ploughing through books. Yeah. So I think that's it's quite sad that when you get older, you sometimes lose some of that, which is a shame. Well, and, and life changes, and there are obligations and demands. I mean, that's that is. Yeah, it's that's true. But I, I bought a chair. I bought a chair recently <laughs> that I I've put. Don't laugh. This is this is real. I bought a chair because I just just one single chair so that no one could sit next to me. Yeah. No one would go into my space. <laughs> and, I, and if I wanted to sit there with a book by by my French doors, that's exactly what I will do. Yeah. And um, I have sat there and I have picked up a book as the bathroom and read a couple. But I but that's my space. That's great. Because I wouldn't want it interrupted by somebody yeah. sitting yeah. near me. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Shopping catalogs are not a book. <laughs> <laughs> Fashion it, magazines. It was not. You shush. <laughs> right, so, well, for me, I like the audio books. I mean, I don't know if you do all of your books in audio, but I think audio is important because now at my age, mm. and I've had cataract surgery, so now I'm listening to books like crazy. Um so I, 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 I'm not really buying hard hardcover books anymore. No, I think that's a big market. And um, I think, like, I always have one going on my commute, too. I guess I, don't, I haven't had a commute for, like, two months because of the pandemic. But, yeah, I mean, that's just such a nice thing to have as an option. A pandemic? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I said a nice thing to have. No, I was just wondering, does this whole thing for you um, in the last couple of months and with all the shutdowns and the COVID and all this, you know, conspiracies and negative news and blah, 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 do, do, does it affect your, your, your writing or creative process in your writing? You know, I, it has not really affected me, but I know that for a lot of people it has. I mean, I see this, I've heard this from a lot of friends and I've seen it on, you know, different uh, media outlets, you know, like ways to jumpstart your creativity if you're struggling right now. But I'll also admit that I am a fairly like cloistered person. Like I, I live my little life by myself. I don't read a lot of news or watch a lot of news. I get my, you know, I do my due diligence once a day to make sure I know what's happening in the world, and then I kind of move on. So it may, maybe it hasn't infiltrated my life. I'm also a homebody by nature, so like. 
it hasn't been too taxing to mm. hang out at home. Mm. Um, it's kind of my dream, actually. He's <laughs> <laughs> well, living the dream. That's right. I, well, I, I agree. I'm more of a homebody, too. But I think that um, I feel like a dark cloud. Uh, um, I, I don't feel like writing anything in a positive light. Everything has yeah. like, it has kind of a dark um, feeling toward um so, so I'm not sure. I just wondered. Sure. I just wondering if it would influence you, if you were doing a book, um, if it kind of, if you look at things from a darker side, you know. I think um, that's a good question. I just the book I'm working on right now is was already by nature pretty dark, so it's it's hard to know if that was coincidence or. Um, or not like it's about it's it's kind of like a paranormal story that also kind of explores post-traumatic stress disorder so i mean it was already pretty dark i i mean it probably is a little darker than it would have been but and and i think i took your question to be more about productivity and like staying focused is that has that also well, it's, it's kind of a- that's also well, it's well for me, yes, in the sense that because uh, whenever I'm going to complete a book, I go away. I have to get away from yeah. the house. I have to oh, get away from well. everything going on in in the house. Where do you go? Where do you uh, where? <laughs> go? To, go, to, go to hell? No, I um, well, actually, to be honest, I pick, excuse. I pick usually a city that I don't know, and I go okay. right, to, right to the downtown. Uh, okay. I, want, I want at least a million or two million people. And I wow. get a I get a hotel, and then then it isolates me in a crowd. Stop that! Oh, no, no. <laughs> yeah. And then, the, and then the hotel. Then I get on the app sites. And, no, uh, no, no, yeah, no. Uh, for for me, I mean, I have to be isolated around a lot of people I don't know. Like when you're walking okay. down a busy street in downtown, and you see a thousand people doing all their stuff. And you yeah. don't know any of them. There's a certain type of isolation that creates, and that puts yeah. me in the mood. When you're at home, you've got you know the phone ringing, you've got the neighbors, you've got this, you've got the dogs, you've got all, you've got all these things um, pulling at you. So I, it breaks yeah. your thought. Like, I mean, yeah. it, not for you, obviously. You're all, all alone and a hermit, right? So, <laughs> so you, that's not an issue, right? This show is so full of compliments. <laughs> you know. It's, it's, you know, you got a bottle and whatever, but, you know, <laughs> so, you know, today I'll open my blinds. No, I just, I, it, it all works for everybody, but just I, for me. I'm not sure this is how Greg wanted to be portrayed. The <laughs> <laughs> outsider is real bleak, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> well, the pe- people are overrated anyway, so, you know, you go out oh, you know, but uh, but now with the pandemic, there's no cities and there's no people, so I there's no place sure. to go, and plus nobody, there's not really anything going on, so I'm sort of stuck right now. But wait, so it, but so when you go to another city, are you finishing? Are you revising at that point, or are you like literally typing the last chapters? Like, what's the finishing stage that you have to be away for? Well, no, it's the. Um, I have six or seven books going all the time, and uh, oh wow. 
Well, the reason is is because you're doing investigating, so you have to uh, meet the killer or meet the families and and go get the court documents, meet police. So you set up these appointments. You can't just do it all at once. It it can take a couple of years. So you have all these going at the same time and so that you always have something to do. You know, for yeah. one book or the other, and back and forth. This is when everything's completed, when you have all your information, and there's nothing else you really need to do. Um, it's almost like then you put the voice to it. Oh. There has to wow, be that's that, cool. There has to be the character voice that starts it telling you the story from the beginning to the end. And that's okay. kind of that. That's the part that I, I need to write when I'm away, because you have to be in the right atmosphere for that. For me, anyway, that's how it works for me. That's fascinating. Are you, Julie, are you a writer too? No, no, I'm not. I'm just amazed that somebody called you cool, Al. <laughs> <laughs> I've just, I just taken that in. Hang on, I've got to put this on oh some sort God. of badge. No, I think that's fascinating, Al. I really, I, I'm not a nonfiction writer, so like to me that's just such a cool process. It's no, a hard so I, I, work, hard. I work in social work. I work with oh. um, children and child protection. Wow, that's amazing. Thank you for doing that. It's very different than than um, traveling around finishing a book. That's an <laughs> amazing service. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Somebody's got to do it. <laughs> Somebody's got to do the hard work so that I can sit around. Oh man! <laughs> yeah, that's that's how I see it. Al. That's how I see it. <laughs> so someone's got to pull the weight, right? I, uh, no, it's it's it's, it's an try. unusual process with writing, right? And you know that yourself. It's just an unusual process, and if things are not set to how it's going to work, it's going to work. And I'm I'm a particular sort of person, so I'm kind of weird. Um, um, but I, th- I think whether you're writing because you're 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 writing a complete works, as in a a book, a novel, etc., or whether you're report writing, I think whenever you're concentrating on something that 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 means you're offering an analysis, you're having to really think things through. Everyone's got a preferred style and, and mm-hmm. where, where they do that. For me, I struggle with, um, at the moment in the pandemic, we're homeworking. So um, I would normally have, um, take myself off to a, a quiet place to punch out a report. Mm-hmm. Whereas at the moment, I'm finding that much more difficult. My head's not really in it. And it feels very much like I'm, um, I'm having an excitable day working at home, which is a real treat. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so your psyche is still set up for this is brilliant. I'm at home and I can I can potter and I can do the odd bits. And then when I get into the office, my head is down. So, having to change your psyche to to adapt to those different working styles is is quite tricky. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Need some. I don't wine. need a hotel. <laughs> 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 oh, well, it has to be a have, nice I hotel. I haven't asked for a hotel. <laughs> <laughs> well. You've got to start asking. You'll never yeah, get actually, it if you don't ask, yeah. right? Yeah, I, and I'm sure the local authority council council budgets will say, off you go. That's fine. <laughs> oh, come on. Ask, just ask uh, for it. The taxpayer's purse. No, I don't think I need that. But, uh, but I do understand the need for a particular place, and you, then that's where your focus comes in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Now, what if you... Um, You've got going here, Greg. You've got like this uh, serial novel. So what that's what is that all about? Well, I so I had written this novel, um, and it's 
It's set in that same town that I mentioned, that same fictional Missouri town, but it's set kind of as a, a few years before my main series of novel takes off. And I didn't really know what to do with it. Like, I was kind of sitting on it and thinking about it, but I had, I was happy with the draft. It was just kind of a question of how to publish it or when to publish it. So um, when the shelter-in-place orders started becoming, not, I guess not quite universal, but closer to it, uh, I, a lot of authors were giving away their books or trying to find ways to provide people with, you know, content, entertainment during the time people were stuck at home. So I decided to serialize it, and I've been um, sending out a chapter every day for a little, almost a month now. It's almost a month to the day now. Um, so anyway, it's just been a fun. I've, I've been surprised at how many people enjoy uh, getting a chapter every day. Like, it's... I. And then I'll also get the occasional email that tells me how frustrated they are. They want to read ahead, you know, now. But um, but it's been kind of fun to have to kind of play it out more slowly like this. Hmm. That's interesting. Um, so how do they get it? If they want to get that um, mm-hmm. or, or catch up with you on that, what, what are they Yeah, doing? if they want to catch if I have um, – I have almost all of the chapters that have come out archived on my website. My website is my name, uh, www.gregoryashe.com. And they can go there. It's called um, The First Quarto, uh, which is because the it's they're, they're at a college, and one of them is a Shakespeare grad student, you know, so he's reading King Lear while he's solving a murder mystery. <laughs> And uh, which is how I wish my grad school had been, I think. Um, and so, yeah, they can find the novel there. There's also a link there to sign up for the remaining emails that will be coming out. And what's in the future for Gregory? Like, where where do you want to go with writing? Uh, do you want to yeah. keep doing these types of series? Do you want to do something different? Do you want to expand? Like, wh- where do you want to go? That's a great question. I, I I don't have a five year plan, but I have a one year plan. So I'm trying to like I'm trying to think a little bigger and think about what I want this career to look like. I mean, I, the next set of books that I'm gonna write, I, I I've kind of explained how they all kind of deal with different kinds of issues. The next ones are, are gonna be about um, the intersection and kind of the, the conflict of religion and the LGBTQ community. And so, um, I, I, you know, like that's just another area that's kind of, I think, rich for exploration and is obviously personal for me and something I've read about a lot and thought about a lot. And so, um, so like that'll be, that'll take me through probably, um, probably the next year working on those books. There's, there's three books that I'm, uh, going to write for them. So, uh, I mean, mystery is really the genre that I identify with and that I feel drawn to, and um, so I imagine like that'll be where I continue to build the career. But but I got I, I got to keep planning. I don't have a plan beyond beyond that part right now. Hmm. I find that interesting. So now the U.S. is really uh, um, struggling with um, rights between um, the gay and the and the the Christian and all that stuff. Do you think it's going to get better? Like this is kind of a it's kind of an unusual switch um, mm-hmm. for what's been going on the last little while. So how do you how do you, it, it, does this sort of spark you to write these kinds of books? Yeah, I mean it is like so the so the 
question of LGBTQ rights is really fascinating because it's probably, in the history of the United States, the issue that has seen the most drastic reversal, right? Like, um, it, it went from, like, 60% opposed to 60% in favor in a very short, uh, I'm talking about right there, marriage equality, but, like, people, like, reversing their position drastically and in a really short matter of years, you know, not like the generations that um, other social issues uh, have had to pass through and are we still struggle with today. But, like, religion, it's just so hard because, man... I guess to be a little skeptical, there's so many people with power, cynical, I meant cynical, not skeptical, like there's so many people with power and like they're not eager to give that power up and they're not eager to, like some of that power comes from being able to mark out people as like other and not good. And so I guess I, 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 I think there are a lot of people trying to make it better, and I think there's a lot of institutional and systemic things in place that will make it hard to see those changes. Yeah. Yeah, I see, I see a lot of struggle in the U.S. Um, it's, um, you know, it, it's kind of a scary thing in a sense to see things that you think were resolved and they are not. Well, and it, it's scary to see that... Um, I, and this is the, the most recent survey I saw was probably for two years ago. I think it was for 2018, but it was the first time in, I can't remember how many years, 10 years or 15 years or something that youth in the United States were less tolerant of the LGBTQ community. And so like there was actually like this slippage, like losing ground among young people, which was really like to me, it was really disheartening. Like, I mean, these kids are growing up in a world where I think there's a lot more support than there used to be, and then to see a reversal is really discouraging. Hmm. Why do you think that is? Now, that seems to be um, – America seems to be having the largest, definitely the most vocal issue with it. Um, so why do you think that is? Well, I don't know. I mean, the study suggested that it's because uh, youth in the United States, like this Gen Z – um, are just having less um, personal interaction in general and that that contributes to less... But, you know, the thing that builds tolerance, of course, is meeting and knowing people who are not like you but coming to understand them. And that, like, the invasion of devices and screens has made that actually for the first time less likely to happen for these young people because you know, they're sitting at home with their phone instead of going out and meeting people. I don't know if that's entirely true. I, I, I mean, that's one of the things the study suggested, but I think there's, you could say a lot about our political climate right now and um, the things that have been championed and um, have seen some success. You know, I think that is, could also help explain some of it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, I think the Trump and the right thing is just, um, the right wing there, it's just something that represents the people, you know, a certain right. percentage of them. And right. he's just he's just kind of brought it to the light and has the voice. Yeah. But, um, it's always been there, I think. So, I, you know, that's a tough yeah. one. Yeah, and I think, I think you're right that it's always been there. And I think for a while we were able to tell a certain story in 
most media that a lot of those elements had disappeared or were dying out. And I, it, it was, it's really upsetting to see them not only not dying out, but in some ways stronger than ever and legitimized and given a new public face. And, um, yeah, I, I mean, that is that. Yeah, I guess that's all I'll say about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, there we go. So, so now, um, um, any any other information? Now, let's give out your um, website again and how people can find you. Thank you. Yeah, um, my website is www.gregoryash, and my last name is ashe. dot com. And I have uh, that mailing list is on there, the first quarto, and then um, I'm also on Facebook. I'm on Twitter. And uh, I try to be active, especially right now during the pandemic. Like, I have some extra time on my hands, so I try to engage with people and respond to people. So they can email me, track me down on my website, find me on Facebook. Yeah, I'm here. <laughs> Available. Doing TikTok videos. <laughs> <laughs> I had a student ask me to be in one, and I very politely said no. Maybe not that politely. I thought I was polite. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> oh, I know. It's crazy. But, you know, that's the world we live in now. So, that's right. You know. That's right. Thirty seconds or whatever it is. Well, fantastic. Yeah. You know. So what we've done is we will have your website up on our website, so people listening to the show, if they uh, want to find out more or if they want to send some hate mail, they can just do one click <laughs> and Thank find you. Find you. Thank so, you. So they can do it while they're listening. That's uh, we're we're about. We are about convenience and helping people out. You know. Yeah, all, thank you. Yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah, not a problem. <laughs> and our guest has been author Gregory Ash. Now, thank you for being on the show. Thanks, Alan. Thank you, Julie. Thanks, Gregory. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show is over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Yeah. Good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show is over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Yeah. Good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.